we're starting, you know, secular humanism. We're starting to hit on the worldviews as we work through this. Uh, you're going to see there's a lot of things that we could turn around and talk about tonight. And it'll be this way for each one of the worldviews that we go through. But the reality of it is if we hit on every point that we would never get done. We would, I mean, we would just go on. And so a lot of things, I'm just going to kick down the road until we get to the disciplines. And then we'll start to break down a lot of these questions. So whether it's on law or philosophy or theology or science or whatever that is, then we'll pick up some of these ideas as we go through instead of dealing with them all tonight on secular humanism. So some of that we're gonna, we'll push down. You may have a question, and if, it, if it's one of those things I know that's going to be answered or I can't answer it quickly, please, I'm, I'm not afraid to answer the question. We just need to move that down the road so we can deal with that at a more appropriate time. Um, again, a lot of what we're going to cover tonight, it's probably more on there than I wanted to, but you know what I'm talking about secular humanism a lot, I'm going to use their words. This is what they say. This is what they believe. It's not me interpreting that. It's them telling us this is what we believe. This is what we're striving for. And so as we go through that, like I said, there's a lot of verbiage. I apologize for that. Um, but anyway, so we're going to go ahead and work with through that whole piece. And so it's secularism, which is also called, it could be secular humanism. It could also be called that. And so this is the first worldview outside of the biblical worldview that we're going to look at. So Humanist International, there's a link that you can go through. And we're going to go through a bunch of their stuff. This is a real place. It's actually uh, in Amsterdam. It's kind of where they're based out of. Uh, it would, I would encourage you, man, during the week, is go look at this website. There's also going to be another link, uh, which is not on your paper, which I just added it about an hour ago, and that's the American Humanistic Association. Okay, and so you, I'll tell you when we get there. You can snap a picture of it, and I would encourage you to go to their website and look at that also. Um, so anyway, the Humanist International, man, they estimate there's over 1 billion people who are religiously unaffiliated. Okay, And that means that they either identify as atheists, agnostics, or they describe their religion as nothing in particular. right? And so we would, that nothing in particular, and certainly in our Western culture, we would call that nuns, N-O-N-E, not N-U-S, N-U-N, right? It's N-O-N-E, and we just don't really affiliate with any type of religious group or whatever that may be. So that's got that idea. So they would classify as secularists, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're atheists. It doesn't mean that they're atheists. It's, again, this is this kind of a hodgepodge of grouping that they're bringing together. Humanists are non-religious people who strive to lead fulfilling, meaningful, and ethical lives using reason and empathy to guide their decisions and actions. Look, you're going you're to read these and say, these are just really nice people. And they really are. Many of them are going to be very nice people. Uh, again, there's just a lot of wording that's, that's in here. Uh, they base their understanding of the world on reason and science. They reject the supernatural or the divine beliefs. Okay? Just in case you want to put this on your calendar, June 21st is World Humanist Day. I thought some of you would want to do that because you want to plug them all in as much as you can and, and rejoice in that. Uh, Amsterdam Declaration. So this was this is the International Humanist. They updated their declaration in just this past year, and this is their declaration. Its humanist beliefs and values are as old as civilization and have history in most societies around the world. Modern humanism is the culmination of these long traditions of reasoning about meaning and ethics, the source of inspiration for many of the world's great thinkers, artists, and humanitarians, and is interwoven with the rise of modern science. As a global humanist movement, we seek to make all people aware of these essentials of the humanist worldview. Isn't that nice? It's this nice. These are nice people. They strive to be ethical. Now, the one thing I will say is as we kind of go through, there's like four points, and you can already see that on your paper. There's really a, there's one question that you, could, that you could ask yourself and you could ask a humanist when they bring this up, it is why. Why do you strive to be ethical? Why do you? And again, those are just those, those questions. Instead of debating them about that, it's just, well, well why do you think ethics are important and what are ethics? So we just want to get in that habit of asking questions. So they give you all of this information. You know, we accept that morality is inherent to the human condition, grounded in the ability of living 
Um, things to suffer and flourish, motivated by the benefits of helping and not harming, enabled by reason, compassion, and needing no source of outside humanity. We affirm the worth and dignity of the individual and the right of every human to the greatest possible freedom and fullest possible development compatible with the rights of others. To these ends, we support peace, democracy, the rule of law, and universal legal human rights. We reject all forms of racism, prejudice, and injustices that arise from them. We seek instead to promote the flourishing and fellowship of humanity and all of its diversity and individuality. We reject all, oh, I already read that. We hold that personal liberty must be combined with personal responsibility to society. A free person has duties to others, and we feel a duty to care for all humanity, including future generations beyond and this to the sentient beings. We recognize we're part of nature and we accept our responsibility for the impact we have on the rest of the natural world. Again, good things. Number two, they strive to be rational. We can, we're con so they're ethical, they're rational. We're convinced that the solutions to the world's problems lie in human reason and action. Uh, we advocate the application of science and free inquiry to these problems, remembering that while science provides the means, human values must define the ends. We seek to use science and technology to enhance human well-being, never callously or destructively. Uh, they strive for fulfillment in their lives. Right? We value all sources of individual joy and fulfillment that harm no other. I would underline that. You know, again, that's, that's going to be an idea that shows up in several other worldviews as we're going to get through. It's, look, you're good. You can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't cause harm to somebody else. And so, you know, that, again, that just comes up often. Um, and we believe that personal development through the cultivation of creative and ethical living is a lifelong undertaking. Therefore, we treasure artistic creativity and imagination and recognize the transforming power of literature, music, and the visual and performing arts. We cherish the beauty of the natural world and its potential to bring wonder, awe, and tranquility. We appreciate individual and communal exertion and physical activity and the scope it offers for comradeship and achievement. And we esteem wisdom and knowledge and insight that it bestows. And then their fourth point, humanism meets the widespread demand for a source of meaning and purpose to stand as an alternative to dogmatic religion, authoritarian nationalism, tribal sectarianism, and selfish nihilism. Okay? You can be good without God. Right? Though we believe that a commitment to human well-being is ageless, our particular opinions are not based on revelations fixed for all time. Right? And so literally what they're saying is the ideas that we are putting forth here are not necessarily objective truth because they can change over time. Okay? Humanists recognize that no one is infallible or omniscient and that knowledge of the world and of humankind can be won only through a continuing process of observation, learning, and rethinking. Right? No one is. That would be us, and that would be God. And for these reasons, we seek neither to avoid scrutiny or, nor to impose our view on all humanity. On the contrary, we're committed to the unfettered expression and exchange of ideas and seek to cooperate with people of different beliefs who share our values, all in the cause of building a better world. So as long as you share their values, they're good. When you don't share their values... Not so good. We're confident that humanity, <clears throat> excuse me, we're confident that humanity has the potential to solve the problems that confront us through free inquiry, science, sympathy, and imagination in the furtherance of peace and human flourishing. We, we, right, we all know that sympathy really has nothing to do with science, right? We're, we're good with that? Okay, they're just, they don't connect. And we call upon those who share these convictions to join us in our wonderful endeavor. Okay? So what is a worldview? Right? Worldviews a pattern of ideas, beliefs, convictions, and habits that help us make sense of God, the world, and our relationship to God and the world. That's a worldview. Every worldview attempts to do this in some way, shape, or fashion. Right? And so a worldview, the life's big questions, we've covered this. These are the big questions. Okay, every worldview attempts to answer these questions in some way, shape, or form. Where do we come from? That's origins, right? Who are we? That's identity. How we ought to live? That's morality. What is our purpose? That's meaning. 
What happens after we die, that's destiny. Okay? So now, right, we haven't done this yet, but what I want to, what you do is to take this idea of these, of these big questions, do this at your table. If fights break out, just don't, just don't let that happen. And so, right, and so I want you to, all that information that I just read, you have it on your paper, right? I want you to go through, pick one of those five questions and say, does secularism attempt to answer that? Okay? Does secular, secularism attempt to answer that question or those questions or all of those questions? And then everybody in the chairs, I know you got, you're, you're an island unto yourself. Look, I'm there. I'm with you. So either you can group up or you can work it on your own island. It's all good. Okay? Go. All right. That, let's bring that back together. I'm proud of you guys. You played well together. We can do this again in the future. So, so what did we come up with on those five big questions? We still have them up there. Does secular humanism answer any of those, all of those? What about number one? Where do we come from? Obviously, in that paper, it doesn't direct, it's, it's science, right? So where do we come from in secular humanism? I'm sorry? Big Bang. Yeah, it's going to be an evolutionary idea. It's Darwinian evolution is what it's going to, it's going to be. It's going to be tied to. They don't talk about it here, but by the fact that they exclude, right, the supernatural aspects of it, it only leaves you one option, right? Because, and again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but, man, when we deal with how life came about, there's only two options. That's it. There's not a third option. Um, there's only two. It's either supernatural creation or Darwinian evolution. Those are our only options when it comes to that. Um, how about who are we? Does it, does it attempt to answer that as far as our identity? How so? I'm sorry? One chromosome above the ape. One chromosome above the ape. Okay. Any other way that they talk about identity? Part of nature. Part of nature. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they kind of they combine it all together. And again, the issue is, I mean, if science is our source of truth... The reality of it is ethics and morality have nothing to do with that because science can't speak to that. Science can't speak to those issues. So somewhere, right, they are capturing these ideas of ethics and morality. Where are they getting them from? Yeah, yeah. ultimately it comes from a Christian worldview is where they, you know, they're just kind of stealing from God to get these ideas. And they're great ideas. I'm, I'm with them. I'm with them. Man, we need to live ethical. We need to be responsible. We need to live moral lives. You know, the question becomes is what is ethical? What is moral? What is responsibility? You know, we have no frame. Bart. Well, but that's a sliding scale, and it ties into number three about how we ought to live. Because if you don't have a foundational bedrock element like the scripture, yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it, I think it was in point four. I could be wrong in this where they talked about, you know, we know that this changes. Right. When I was talking about objective morality. Well, once you, once that becomes a sliding scale, it's all it's all subjective. And who slides the scale? You, you know, who gets to move that? I mean, we get into that idea. And so, again, those just become questions to ask. As we think through these things. OK, um, how you talk, what's our purpose? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Doug's got it. It's man. We're, we're not just making ourselves better. We want to make society better. We want to make the world better. Why? And then what happens after we die? They really don't deal with that within this particular aspect of it. Okay, so it attempts to answer the questions. And, and again, some of them, you know, I give them kudos. It's like, yeah, I agree with that. What's your foundation for making that claim? That's really what it boils down to. What's your foundation for saying, I can make that claim, and it's a true claim, and you should also live by that also? Henry? I'm sorry? Yeah, naturalism would. Yeah, that's going to fall under Darwinian evolution, uh, materialism, um, not that we want to buy a lot of stuff, but it's anyway, the material world's all that there is. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I could, I could, yeah. I would probably, anyway, we're going to move on. <laughs> okay, so secularism, right? It's an atheistic and materialistic worldview that champions a society free from the influence of religion. Free from the influence of religion. Right? They often believe the worst aspects of society are caused by Christianity and the best aspects are due to secularism. Right? What's that? Well, again, their worldview drives that because it comes down to they're going to go to all the religious wars that, that take place, uh, all of the infighting, all of the different denominations. There's a lot of things that they can point to to say that, but the issue is, is the problems that we have don't come because we're living out biblical worldviews. Right? The mess in society today is not, well, we're all living out biblical worldviews, and that's why we've, we've got these problems. Now, we can say it's because we're not living out biblical worldviews, and that's why we have these problems. I, amen that. Right? I just, you know, I've been in a lot of cities. I've traveled a lot. I've just never seen secular humanist hospital. I've just never seen one. Or the atheist food bank. Or the Naturalism Children's Home. We, we just don't, yeah, we don't see those things. You know what? Because their worldview doesn't drive them to that. Their worldview. But they'll take credit for what the biblical worldview brings onto the scene. They'll take credit for that. Uh, secularists reject the, the spiritual and the supernatural. Talked about that. Uh, it replaces theology with science. Science is the sole arbiter of truth. Religion, it's simply subjective in opinion. Right? Francis Schaeffer would talk about the upper and the lower rooms. The upper and the lower rooms. And the lower room would be science the empirical data, the hard things that we can prove. And the upper room is that subjective, it's the emotional, it's the religious. Okay? And it's like, you know what? If the upper room makes you feel better, then go ahead and visit that upper room. But reality takes place in the lower room. Matthew. We're going we're gonna to get to that. Yeah, we're going to get to that. That's, that's coming up. And so we've got this upper lower room that takes place. The thing about it is, is you can't live like that. You can't live like that. Again, I've, a student, University of Memphis, was telling me about this professor. And, and one week the professor was, oh, he's married, he's got kids, and man, he just loves his wife, and this, man, he loves playing with him. And this, he just kept saying how much he loves his children and his wife. But then the next week he moves over into Darwinian evolution, right? And he's just talking about that. And so the student says, how does that work? And he says, what do you mean? He says, the whole loving your kid things and then this idea of survival of the fittest. How does that work? He said, because what you claim last week is not what you're claiming this week. How do you live that out? I mean, do you go home and just tell your children, you know what, you're just a higher evolved animal. You're more like a, like a machine than anything. And, you know, I feed you because it keeps you going. And the professor couldn't answer that. Because he talks like he lives in the lower room. But the reality of it is he spends that time in the upper room also, and he just separates the two worlds. He separates the two worlds because that's the only way that you can cognitively live in it is I'm just not going to deal with the upper room right now because I'm talking about lower room stuff. If you can't consistently live out your worldview, you need to get a new worldview. You need to get a new worldview. So upper room, lower room. Uh, they see themselves as logical and unbiased, right? You see this on the news. If you read articles and that kind of stuff, it's like, oh, well, here's an expert, right? They're not tied to anything. 
And so they're unbiased in, in, in what they say. Christians, very biased. Certainly not experts. Right? And so they present themselves as very logical and very unbiased. They're the neutral party. We're the crazies. Okay? So four tenets of secularism. Right? Self-sufficiency. Humans are all there is. Right? There's no Savior. We've got to save ourselves. Right? And that's was one of the things that we saw in the Amsterdam Agreement where they're breaking it down. It's like, you know, we've got to solve these problems. It's up to us. And again, the natural thing that comes to my mind is, wow, we're the ones that created the problem. How are we going to solve it when we are the problem? But we're going to see that they don't see it that way. Materialism, it's the only, the physical world exists. We live in a closed system. In other words, everything that we have exists within this system, and there's nothing outside the system interacting upon it. We live in a closed system. In other words, there's us, the material world, there's nothing supernatural. Here and now, all right, there is no life after death, eat, drink, and be merry. Live for yourself live for the world, and then you become worm food. And that's it. Doesn't that excite you? Wow, I can't believe more of us aren't like that. Right? They're, well, no, because they could exist within the closed system. Politically narrow, there's no room for religion in politics or theology in education. Very narrow. Um, well, I'll wait. There's this idea of freedom of worship versus freedom of religion. And again, I'm going to talk a little bit about this uh, because it shows up again in the Marxism worldview, and it's going to show up again in another worldview. Um, but anyway, you've got, um, this is a Wall Street Journal article. If you're, if you're part of that, you can go in there and get it. You can actually link up and get some free articles if you want that. If not, this one also talks about it. Um, but you've got this idea of freedom of worship versus freedom of religion, right? And they're two different things. They're two different things. And so we want to make sure that we don't confuse the two, right? Freedom of religion says that you have the right to live out your faith as your faith directs you in the marketplace of ideas. So when you leave here tonight and you go to work or you go to work tomorrow or you go to school, you are free to live out your faith as your faith calls you to live it out, out in the world. That's freedom of religion. Okay, Freedom of worship is, hey, you can, you can live out your faith all you want as long as it's inside the walls of this church. Make it a very privatized faith but don't take it outside of the church. That's unacceptable. And so you get this idea of freedom of religion and freedom of worship. Right? It was back in the mid you know, the early 2000s, right? Man, you've got political people that are saying, oh, no, I'm for freedom of worship. Right? And, I'm, and man, I'm just, I'm just blowing gaskets. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not what we're guaranteed. We're guaranteed freedom of religion. And so when we hear that, we need to be susceptible or sensitive to that idea. No, it's not freedom of worship. It's freedom of religion. As long as you, and Canada, man, was really pressing on this one during the whole pandemic and everything where oh, what you do, you do it inside those walls. But during the pandemic, you don't even do that. Right? They're easily 15, 20 years down the road where we're at. But I don't think it'll take long for us to catch up. Freedom of religion versus freedom of worship. Questions? All right. So, how many secularists are there? And this guy, David Nios, he's, he's no longer president. This is when I got this quote back in. He's president of the American Humanist Association. He said there was 12 to 18% of Americans are secularist. And he's not the current president right now. Um, 
you can go to this website. And I, this is another one. I would encourage you to go to these websites, pull up the American or the National Humanist, pull up the American Humanist, and then read them. Vastly different. The American Humanist Association, very aggressive. Very aggressive. This is what they say. This is what they, some of their key issues. We strive to bring about a progressive society where being good without a God is an accepted way to live life. We accomplish this through our defense of civil liberties and secular governance, by our outreach to the growing number of people with religious beliefs or preference, and through a continued refinement and advancement of the humanist worldview. And again, you can go to this site, and man, politically, they are very active, very active politically. And the goal is to keep out all religion from the secular place, from the marketplace of ideas. Their goal is to keep that out at every cost. And so, I, one, I would encourage you to read that and look at what they've got, look at what the national, international humanists, night and day, night and day, as far as how they approach this idea. Um, Pew Research Center reported that one-third of 18 to 29-year-old claims no religious affiliation. Again, we kind of talked about that under the international humanists. That's the nuns. Uh, secularists on campus. All right, secularist professors can be found on the majority of America's colleges and universities. They're more prominent in the humanities and social science departments than in the biological or physical sciences. Why do you think that is? Behavioral. Hmm. Oh, these are behavioral. Yeah, these become behavioral sciences, right? So it's not necessarily that you can point to the sciences, right? When you deal with the STEM subjects, you get less of the humanists there. I'm saying they're not there. You just get less of them there because you're dealing with, man, very intangible things, and it becomes opinion, and it becomes my ideas that we're presenting. And so you find them in these departments at a much higher level. Right, 22.9% of college professors claim a secularist worldview. Remember, 12 to 18% of the Americans are secularist. So how is it that we end up with such a higher rate of secular professors on the college campuses? How does that happen? Is this an accident? It's not. It is not an accident. It is by design. It's by design. There was, I can't remember, he's now the president of Florida State University. Uh, he was a political figure, very, very, pretty conservative, not very. He's a pretty conservative guy. And people are losing their minds over this guy taking over Florida State. Oh, he's, he's going to change the university? He's not going to change the university because it's the directors over the departments that do the hiring. And they hire according to their worldview. They hire according to their worldview. And so we're going to see a much higher rate on our secular college campuses for secularism within the professors. 34.9% of the professors believe in the existence of God. And again, we want to be careful when we say they believe in the existence of God. right? Because the tendency may be, oh, they're Christians. No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that at all. Which God... What is your God like? Is he the God of the Bible? Right? So, what can our students expect when they go off to college? What's that? Yeah. Somebody's going to say something? Yeah, you're going to get secularism. You're going to get secularism. And if they're not prepared for that, they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle if they are not prepared for what's coming. Again, you know, when, again, I was talking to my students this morning, I said, you know what, you guys live in a bubble. You live in a bubble. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. 
that our students live in a bubble right now. Right? Because they need to be trained up to get ready for these things. The question is, are we training up our students to do that? Parents, churches, teachers, are we preparing them for that? Right? And I was talking about that. I think I've talked about it here. But the way to prepare our students is this idea called inoculation plus refutation. In other words, the idea we need to inoculate them. We need to let them know these ideas are coming. This is what they're going to say. This is what they're going to do. And then refutation is, is we're teaching them the truth of how do you respond to these things. Literally just on Monday, a um, student was telling me he's in a sociology class, which that's one of these humanities. And uh, yeah, don't get involved in sociology. <laughs> I say that because I, I got a degree in sociology, so that's not enough to, to spur, turn you away from that. Um, and he said, man, you're not going to believe it. This, we had to read this article. And the professor said, you need to tell us why or where is that institutional racism in this article and why that's right. They didn't get an option to say, is it there? And what other issues are driving this problem? It's, it's, I'm telling you, it's institutional racism. You need to write about that and you need to tell me why that's right and the other's wrong. And I said, what do you think about that? He said, I was so glad that you talked about that. I was so glad that you talked about that because I wasn't shocked that it happened. I wasn't surprised. It bummed me out that I got a write on it. But this student was ready for that. How many are? And that really becomes the question, how many are? Man, there's studies and they run, they run the gamut. But man, when our students leave, <clears throat> excuse me, when our students leave and graduate from high school and go off to college, upwards of 80% of them walk away from their faith by the time they, at the end of their four years of college. Upwards of 80%. Man, and if you've worked with youth anytime, you, you know this is, you've seen it happen. You've seen it happen. We don't prepare them for what they're getting ready to face. Are they prepared to stand firm in the faith and to defend the faith? That's what we got to do for our kids. That's what we got to do for our students. We can't prepare them what we don't have to give, though. Amen. If we don't have it, we can't give it. Right? We were talking about number of parents with a secular or just a non-biblical worldview. And man, it's like 89%, 92%. Look, you can't give what you don't have. If I don't have a biblical worldview, I'm not going to raise my kids in that. I'm not going to be able to teach that to my students if I don't have it. So we won. We need to make sure that we've got it, that we understand it, that we live it out, and then we can pass that along because we can't give what we don't have. So is secularism a religious worldview? Right? Secular, like, I don't believe in God, therefore I don't have a religious worldview. Right? Worldview is a pattern of ideas, beliefs, convictions, and habits that help us make sense of God, the world, and our relationship to God in the world. So what do secularists think about God? It doesn't exist. I've met atheists that thought more about God than I think about God. Just trying to disprove that. All right? Secularism, it consists of patterns of ideas, beliefs, convictions, and habits. But what about religion? Religion can be defined as a comprehensive set of beliefs about the cause, nature, and the purpose of the universe. What does secularism say is the cause of the universe? It's natural. Nature, it's all there is, materialism. The purpose of the universe, there is no purpose. It says something about every one of those ideas. On that alone, it's a religion. On that alone, secularism is a religion. 
This is Julian Huxley. He says, as I see it, the world is undoubtedly in need of a new religion, and that religion must be founded on humanist principles if it is to meet the new situation adequately. We must believe that some sort of humanist religion could and should eventually rise. And this was back in the late 40s, early 50s when Huxley was this quote. Man, he's like, <laughs> yeah, Doug. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 All the suckly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's spot on. Because if you go back a little bit further, you know, you've got Horace Mann and a guy named Dewey. And these guys, this is back into the, the 1920s-ish. I could be, I'm going to be off on that somewhat. Man, these were all, I hate to say the founder, but man, these guys started the whole idea of the public education system. Yeah, modern education. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Now it's different. Yeah, and it's, it's through the education system. And again, back to that idea, why are 23% of our college professors secularist? Because it's through the education system is how we change the world. It's a long game. It's a long game for them. And they've been playing it for a long time. It's through the educational system that they bring these changes about. And again, it's just untold. I mean, I've had parents come to me, oh my gosh, you know, Jimmy's gone off to college and now he's learning these ideas and so he's coming back. And now he's just, he's pushing these ideas. Well, my professor said this, and my professor said that, and I don't have any answers. We need to have answers. We can have answers. And I don't say this is it's not sacrilegious, but you know, just you know what? You you just need to have faith. That's not going to get it done. That is not going to get it done. You just have to have faith. That's the worst answer in the world to give a student that's coming back from a professor that's telling them, man, our faith is not a blind faith. It's a faith that's based upon evidence. The biblical worldview best answers the problems and offers the best solutions that we see in our world today. Can we communicate that? We need to be able to communicate that. So can science and religion coexist? Right? Secularists say no. They're mutually exclusive ideas. You're either for science or you're for religion. You can't be both. You can't be both, according to secularism. And that's why that, that one part under the Amsterdam Agreement where they were just talking about, you know, science kind of, you know, the scientists and stuff. I mean, the early scientists that were almost all Christians, at least deist, if not theist. Right? If we look at how, you know, the universe is just this massive cosmic accident that happened. You can't do science under that. It needs to be a universe that has design and order and purpose. To even study it, to even study it, you have to have that. You don't get that out of secularism. You don't get that out of Marxism. You don't get that out of, well, you could get that out of Islam. I was going to say that. But, but those major religions, you don't get that, or those worldviews. Modern science must rule out special creation or divine guidance. Julian Huxley, again, my friend. We must rule it out. Is that a scientific statement or an ideological statement? Yeah, it's ideological. That's a philosophy. That's not science. Yeah. So how do they explain 
Uh, they don't. They don't have a need to. They don't have to. They just don't teach it. They just don't teach it. And you know what? Most of us today, we, okay, he's the PhD. We'll receive that. So they don't have to explain it. And they don't because they can't. They're writing the, writing the narrative and they get to drive the narrative. Materialism is absolute for we cannot allow a defined foot, a divine foot in the door, Richard Lewontin. We cannot allow that. We must not. Again, that's not science driving God out. Man, that's a broken worldview that is driving God out. So secularists, they deny creation, they rely on evolution. Why? Well, since God can't be tested for, he is by default rejected. Look at that. It's not that. Now, what happens is we turn that and he says, well, science has disproved God. And I love it when they say that. And I'm like, well, tell me how that works. Share with me how science has disproven God. Well, the reality is we can't put God in the test tube, which is, that's a good thing. Right? And because we can't test for him, he cannot be real. That's the logic. That's not science. Because I'm like, well, so surely you can give me evidence that he doesn't exist. Well, they can't. And because we can't test it, we don't believe it. And if they were consistent with that, I, I, I could at least give them some, some respect there. Okay, you're consistent with your belief. But they're not. Because we can't test for Darwinian evolution. We can't test for any of these early principles and ideas that came in. It's a theory, maybe not even a good theory, but it's a theory, but it can't be tested. How do we test the beginning of life? We can't. Yeah, Parker. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, but how many of our students are prepared to do that? And again, because if we don't know, it goes unchallenged. It goes unchallenged. Scientific method requires that something be observable and measurable in order for it to be real. And it's got to be repeatable, right? There's other things that we've got in there, but we've got to be able to do these things for the scientific method to be valid and to give us data. But if we can't apply the scientific method to it and you're, you're relying on science, which science are you relying on? Right? One-time events such as creation life, they can't be repeated, observed, or tested, so it can't be scientifically verified. So there's some things that you can, you can test and there's some things that you can't but you believe. Again, I had, I had an atheist friend tell me that, well, I, I believe what science reveals. I said, so that's the only place we can get truth. Yep, that's it. So there's really nuts. There's, there's, there's no racism. There's no love. There's no hate. There's no compassion. There's no courage. Well, no, those things exist. I said, how does science prove that? Well, we know... And she stopped. We know science can't prove it, but we also know that those things exist. And I'm like, so you don't really just believe in scientism. Well, I got to go. I understand. Right? And it doesn't, 
We just got to be willing, lovingly, compassionately able to have these conversations. It's not an argument. Man, if an argument's going to break out, walk away. Walk away. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. So what does secularism say about humanity? Right? Humans are evolving animals. We're continually progressing towards biological perfection. I'm just going to leave that one alone for right now. Uh, humans have evolved to the point where we can control our own evolutionary progress. I'm going to leave that one alone. Victor Stenger, right? he foresees computers becoming the next link in the evolutionary chain. Right? This is what he says. Future computers will not only be superior to people in every task, mental or physical, but will also be immortal. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And so you've got this idea. And again, I, I, again, I had another, you know, an atheist tell me this and he's just like, well, you know, we're just like computers. Uh, how so? Well, you know, our brains, and of course, and it's, we're just machines. That's basically, we're, we're not even an animal now, we're a machine. And our brains kind of work like that. They just don't work as well as a computer. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not really sure about that, but that's okay. That's not the point of the discussion. And so it came down. So he's just laying out this big, his argument for this. And I'm like, who, who built that computer? Well, that's not the point. Well, I think it is a point. Who built the computer? And even more to the point, who programmed the computer? Right? AI is this big discussion that's going on, artificial intelligence. Somebody programmed that machine to do what it does. Somebody programmed that. Somebody outside of the computer built it, and programmed it. You didn't do that on your own. Okay, that's not a good example. No, it's not a good example. But it's a perfect example for supernatural creation. It's a perfect example for supernatural creation because something, someone outside the system created the system, works within the system, and created everything in the system. That's supernatural creation. All right, Stinger also goes on. He says, if the computer is just a machine, so is the human brain. Perhaps a part of this new consciousness, we will become God. Yeah, it is. And they're really not opposed to God, are they? As long as I get to be God. Yeah. And so they make the arguments and they, they're the experts because they got PhD after their name, right? And we, we just we failed to understand the basics of the creation, of God's character, of science. So what's wrong with us? According to secularists, the problem with humanity is the irrational belief in spiritual things. Man, if we could put that aside, we could just move ahead much faster. We could accomplish a lot more if we could just put the spiritual stuff aside. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. As long as, again, I, it's no good, but when I get there, I'll take care of that and I'll fix that too when I become God. You know, I just said that and that just sounds so scary. It's just like, yeah, anyway. Um, how should we live? All right, secularism denies an absolute moral code that must be obeyed. Again, we go back to the Amsterdam Agreement. Where it was updated. Man, they got, man, it just it sounds good. But 
what are your definitions? How are you defining ethics? How are you defining morality? How are you defining responsibility? How do you define these things? And if it changes over time, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Morality is biological. It's not theological. Um, it's got VM Torkun. Moral behavior of rudimentary type is found in the higher animals and can be traced even to the lower life forms. This fact is enough to establish that the source of morality is biological, not theological. Now, I'm sure he's probably ignoring that one, you know, where the parents eat their children in the animal kingdom. It's like, yeah, not that one, not that one. I did. I did not. Uh -uh. Not on that. I just. I, I've heard this before. And you know, you've got uh, orangutans and how they'll care for the young and even other youngs and that kind of thing. I don't know if that's what he's referring to here. Um, but they, you know, again, the example we we find a few exceptions, and we make them the norm. And and that's what happens. We find a few exceptions and we make them the norm. Secularists believe we can rely on common sense because humans are inherently good. Man. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Look, I don't even think you have to be a two-year-old child. I mean, that, that's, that's my philosophy. I, I don't even think you got to be that. And it's just... All right, I'm, I'm going I'm to go off on a sidebar here. Um, anybody watch the Grammys? All right, Sam Smith. And then his friend Kim, right, he's non-binary. So I was talking about this with our students. We kind of brought this whole thing up this morning. And we're just, man, we literally we went through and we walked through this timeline of Sam Smith's life. And again, you know, I, I, I'm not a music guy, so I was asking some people in the class. I said, so does he have a, have a good voice? He's okay. He's okay. Song a good song? Yeah, the, the tune was kind of catchy. Worth a Grammy? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And again, maybe it's worth a Grammy. I, I have no idea. I don't watch the Grammys. You know, this is not my world. And so, but we started walking through. And so we, oh, well, he, 2008, 2009, he, he comes out as, as homosexual. And you know, that's good for business. That's good for business. And then business doesn't get so good. So now it's like, you know what? Now I'm non-binary. Because, man, if you will bring the right narrative, you can make money whether you're good or not. You can make money whether you're good or not. Yeah, oh, they're both guys. Yeah, Kim's a guy. Yes, yes. And so we know it takes place on youth. Of course, his, his was in Germany, Right? But here's the thing is, and I'm like, you know, I, I wasn't, I'm not surprised that we've got Sam Smith and Kim that are moving down this road, that, that they're just deeply confused people that, that, that are in need of much help. They're in need of much help and much prayer. I'm not nearly as concerned about that as I am all the people there that just acted like it was normal. Man, that is a deeper cut to my soul. Because I don't know if you remember, probably the first night we started this, I said, right, and we were talking about culture and the waves. And I said, you know, the most dangerous ideas are not the ones that are being hotly debated. They're the ideas that we accept as normal, that they get no discussion at all. And all of these people are treating it like it's normal. And it's anything but normal. Look, we are not well. We are not well. This whole idea that we're basically good people, 
man, you just got to keep redefining what good is to even carry that thing forth. We, we just perceive it as normal. Well, we do. We do. But now let's just take that back to the secularist idea as long as it causes no harm to others. So if I'm doing what makes me happy, but it causes harm to somebody else, well, we do. But again, who gets to say what the harm is and who's causing harm to who? Right? Because right now, right, if I disagree with, with Sam Smith... Um, it's violence. Yeah. It's not just an idea that's out there. It's considered, I've just created violence against you. So whoever controls the language, right, controls the narrative. And that's what's taking place. Faith in the secular. Seculars have complete faith in the scientific method, naturalistic evolution, and materialism. Complete faith in that. They have faith in their own thought process, except... They accept evolution without question, even though this theory has many holes and unanswered questions. We'll deal with that later. They accept by faith that God did not create the universe, even though they have no evidence to support the universe created itself. There's lots of faith within secularism. It is naturalism. It's the belief that forces of nature are adequate to explain all that exists. I can't remember who said this. It's like a tornado blows through a junkyard, and when it's done, there's a fully running Cadillac that's there. Forces of nature did that. I'm just waiting for the forces of nature to hit my old truck. I'm waiting for it. Every morning, it's like, ah, no, not another day. I got to go again, right? Forces of nature can create all this. That's naturalism. This is a philosophical statement. It's not a scientific one. And you cannot test that claim. It's a philosophical statement. All right, Carl Sagan, atheist, used to have a show before you guys, most of you were born, The Cosmos. All right? And he says, the nature, the world, this is all, it's all that is or all that ever will be. Philosophical statement, it's not scientific. He can't prove that. You can't test for that in the lab. It's a philosophical statement that's presented as a fact. It's just his opinion. Thanks for sharing. So some closing thoughts. All right, secularism is a worldview and can rightly be called a religion. It attempts to answer the big questions of life. Do these answers match reality? Do they match the world that we're actually living in? What we see and know about the world, right? We know that many of the claims conflict with Scripture. So, what secular ideas are creeping into your biblical worldview? All right, we have to check ours first. If you're not actively cultivating a biblical worldview, then you're passively absorbing a false one. That's me. That's you. That's everybody. If we're not actively cultivating that. Hey, if you just love this stuff... I mean, you're like, man, I can't get enough of this. I want to encourage you to go check out this Colson Fellows. It's a program that I'm in. Actually, Kathy Armstrong is in it, and there's a few other people here at church. I love it. I mean, man, it, 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 it's challenging. Uh, it's a 10-month program. But if you're like, I want more of this, and I want a deeper dive, go check this program out. I encourage you to do that. Like I said, it's... Um, I felt like I was fairly educated on a lot of this, but I have learned a ton. I have learned a ton in this. And so if you want more, the, uh, it starts in July. And so that's the reason why I'm sharing with you now. But I encourage you, go check this out, Colson Fellows. Uh, it's an awesome program if you want more. If you're like, man, I can't take what you're giving me right now, then don't check that out. Okay, any closing questions? Yeah, can Oh, 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 yeah.
equipped and brave enough to stand by what they believe and take the hit on a grade? Yeah. Or are they, that's a real choice that they need to be aware of going into mm-hmm. school. Yeah. Are they going to take, are they willing to take the hit for what they believe or are they just going to say, well, I believe this, but I got to get an A, so I'm going to pass. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all he has to do is answer the question that the professor wants, but I, I tell him, don't ever leave that. You get the closing statement. You get to make the closing statement. You need to make the closing statement. Is that a possibility? Yes, it's a possibility here. Are there possibilities that could feed into that problem? And again, I've, again, this, I... I Every year I, I deal with this. Well, the professor's going to flunk me. No, they're not. Trust me. It's a humanities class. <laughs> the, they're not going to flunk you. They're not going to flunk you. And so, I mean, literally, I've, I've had students write their papers, take their final exams. And, and again, I've been out of college a long time, and so they're sending me pictures of it. And I'm like, can you even do this? <laughs> And so he just goes through and he answers the questions. And then he takes two paragraphs and he shares the gospel with his professor. He just writes it down. He just writes it down. He said, I'm probably going to flunk. No, you won't. You'll lose some points, but they're not going to flunk you. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And some students, this student said, it's worth it. I'll take the F if I can share the gospel. And I'm like, man, that's what we want to be. That's what we want to be. And again, the other students, they, they're not that bold. I wish they all were. They're, they're just not. But you know what? Encourage them, help them, train them. College is not everything. I know. I know. It's like when you're in college, there ain't nothing harder than this. And I'm like, yeah, go try to make a living. <laughs> go try to make a living. Right? But for them, it's hard. I get it. So we encourage them. We help them. And, man, we need to prepare them. We need to prepare them. And that's what this is for. It's for you that you would grow and be strengthened and walk in the ways of the Lord and create a culture of flourishing, right? God puts you here on purpose in this place for this time, for his glory and the spreading of the gospel and to create a culture of flourishing. Will we do that? Will we be faithful and obedient to what God's put before me and you? You know, my walk is not your walk and your walk is not somebody else's. But the goals are all the same. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, who controls the language controls the narrative. And then I forgot about this. Man, the last page, I don't know if you've ever read Frederick Nietzsche's Poem of the Madman. Has anybody read that? <laughs> Man, read this. He wrote this in 1882. Man, he was, he was an atheist. Actually, his, his father was a pastor. Man, he, he was broken. He was a broken individual at the end of his life, but he writes this, The Madman. Go home and read it. Secularism, this is what he's talking about. I mean, if he wasn't such just a broken, lost person, I'd, I'd call him almost a prophet. But he understood what happens when we untether our world from the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God. And you see the results of this. 1882. Man, after that, right? The next century was the bloodiest century we've ever known in our world. And we'll see more of that when we cover Marxism, uh, which is in two weeks. Next week, it'll be New Age. Kevin Dormer is going to come up and teach on New Age. And then the week after that, it'll be Marxism. And if nothing else, let me close this in prayer. Blessed Father, we thank you that, Lord, our very breath is tied to you, to your son, Jesus Christ, and, and that apart from you, there, there is no life. If you were to cease to exist, everything would just go off into obliteration and there would be nothing. But Lord, because we're here, we know you are God Almighty. We know that by the very testimony of our lives. We know that by the truth of your word. We see that in the reality of the world around us. Um, and that you are good, and you are faithful, and you are true. I pray this week, Lord, that we would be your instruments of righteousness in your hands, that we would walk in obedience to your commands, and Lord, and that we would, we would treat others with compassion and kindness and mercy and grace. Lord, let us be your, your hands and your feet. Use us this week, and it's all for the glory of your name. Amen.